What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Shaper here with you in the evening hours, late evening hours of Friday, December 2nd, 2022. What is going on, my friends? Well, the baseball hot stove is what's going on. And so I decided it's time to hop back in just ahead of the winter meetings. Going to get you guys a little bit of fresh content because there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, sort of in the Cardinals world. We can do some speculation as far as the Cardinals are concerned, and we're going to do that. I'll talk about, as promised in the last episode, I said I was going to get to shortstop stuff, and I will now, uh, because if I wait much longer, the narrative might change. Shortstops may begin to sign, and we'll have to talk about the new lay of the land. But for now, all four big shortstops, if you can call all four of the main guys part of that same tier, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogart, Stansby Swanson. As of this recording, all four of them are unsigned. And a lot of Cardinals fans are like, you know, why do, the, why do you keep talking about shortstop? Like, Tommy Edmonds is a pretty good shortstop. The Cardinals seem committed to their shortstop. Why do you keep bringing that up? Why, why is that even a position of discussion for the Cardinals? There are a lot of people who feel that way. I'll try to explain briefly why I'm talking about shortstop. I've talked about it. I've touched on it a little bit, but I want to go into that a little bit further. And I'll rank the four for you real quick as far as my preferences are, uh, are concerned. We're not going to get too deep into it, though, because I don't get the sense that the Cardinals are thinking is outside the box as I'd like them to. I'll tell you what I think it looks like they're going to do and uh, lay out a couple of scenarios potentially. I think shortstop should be part of the equation, though, and I'll explain why that is. And it's not a Tommy Edmund question. It's not really about him as much as it is what you've got on the rest of the roster. But we'll get into that a little bit. We'll talk about Wilson Contreras because that is kind of parlaying into the larger discussion about the Cardinals offseason and what they're looking to do and where they're apparently prioritizing their efforts right now in the free agent or trade market. And it's certainly at the catcher position. And Wilson Contreras is the biggest name on the catcher market as a free agent. And so I want to give my thoughts on him because a lot of Cardinals fans sort of think, at least in what's being uh, expressed to me on Twitter at, at bshafer 12 people are saying, well, just sign Contreras and maybe add a pitcher and call it a day. Like, that'd be a good way to spend some money. And people are expecting the Cardinals to spend some money because John Mozeliak emphatically said they were going to raise payroll. Of course, that, that could be sort of a, a trick of the accounting of it considering – they're counting all the money that they're giving to Adam Wainwright, even though they're not giving him all that money this year. A lot of it's deferred. They're counting the payment from the Rockies, I think. That's gotten way too confusing for my own good. In terms of the next uh, allotment financially going toward the, the Nolan Arenado acquisition, they're getting more money, but it's not really for this year. It's for two years ago, but... It also is money that counts on the books. I don't know. I can't keep up with it. It's math. I, I haven't done math since uh, since high school, so I'm not too into that. But we'll talk a little bit about the Cardinals, the notion of maybe raising the payroll a little bit, and the Contreras, the, the fit that he might have. And I'll give you my thought on, on Wilson Contreras as a potential Cardinal because evidently you're seeing some reports, some rumblings that uh, the Cardinals have met with him or his representation. There's There's some mutual interest there. Contreras has been basically pitching himself to the Cardinals uh, for a while now. He he really does seem to want to be in St. Louis. Do the Cardinals want him, and do they, they want the contract, basically, I think is the question that it's going to eventually take to get him. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the pitching situation, because I look at the Cardinals' pitching situation right now and say they don't have enough. Other people would look at it and say they have a surplus. They have too many. And I think both of those points of view are actually correct at the same time, and I'll explain what I mean by that. As well, and then we'll get into a couple of moves that have actually happened. I'm only going to talk about two. More could be dropping as I'm recording this now, late on a Friday. But two big ones have come down that are relevant, I think, in the, the grand scheme of things. Colton Wong, out of the NL Central, former Cardinals second baseman, has been traded to Seattle. Talk about my impressions of that move and, and how it impacts the Brewers. They did get a big name back in the deal, but did they actually win the deal in getting that player in the current structure of where we are, 2023 MLB. I'll give you my answer to that question. And Jacob deGrom signing with the Rangers is pretty interesting as well. I guess somebody tipped off Mike Maddox, former Cardinals pitching coach, going to Texas, going back to Texas, rather. Maybe he knew something was in the offing when it came to Jacob deGrom and thought, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. Who knows? But we'll get into all that. And probably not much more. I did actually write all those down as topics I'd like to talk about today. If there are topics that I didn't bring up or don't bring up that you'd like me to talk about, 
during the remainder of the offseason, I mean, it's the hot stove, but sometimes it, it's more of a simmer when it comes to the stove. Hopefully the winter meetings next week in San Diego, which I won't be at uh, because of the newborn. I'm, I'm having to skip this one. I've been at the several recent winter meetings. I think every single one that was held in person, except for the, the COVID year, it didn't happen. But I've been at a lot of those. Not this year because of the newborn, but hopefully the winter meetings in San Diego is something that can heat up that hot stove. But we're going to be talking baseball all off season long, so make sure you subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify. Apple Podcasts is another great spot as well. If you've got an iPhone, I don't, but many of you do. So subscribe to B-Shape Daily Podcasts there and hit up the Patreon, patreon.com slash bshafer12 if you'd like to support the show. Let's kick it off with the shortstop conversation because I did tease it last time. I meant to get to it, and then I didn't, and so we're going to do it now. The four big names, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, and Dansby Swanson. Here's my thought process. I don't think the Cardinals need a shortstop specifically. I think Tommy Edmond did a pretty good job last year. I think defensively, he holds up and probably will hold up over the next five, six years uh, better than maybe all four of the guys on the free agent market. Maybe not Correa. He's pretty solid. I, I think Turner does a fine job, but you know you can move him to center field or second base later on in his career, corner outfield if he loses a step. Dansby, he does a nice job. Xander Bogarts, to me, is already a second baseman. I wouldn't want to sign him as a shortstop now. Um, and given his sort of leverage in the situation, he has said that he'll let Boston match any offer. He'd like to stay there, but if they don't want to pay him what, he, what he's worth, then he'll go somewhere else. And I feel like he could probably set his market to say, I'd like to play shortstop. That's one of my contingencies. If I sign with your team, I'd like you to keep me at shortstop. And if that's the case, I have less interest in him because I think Tommy Edmond already is a better shortstop defensively than Xander Bogart. So that's sort of one of the elements that I'm looking at. But just generally, I don't think the Cardinals need a shortstop. I think they need an impact bat. I think they need one more to go with Goldschmidt and Arenado. Those guys are still in their primes as they showed this past season, finishing in the top three in the MVP vote. But you did lose something from this Cardinals roster, a roster that was top five in terms of a lot of offensive categories uh, I believe fifth in OPS, tied for fifth in runs scored in Major League Baseball. Those are good things. But you lost Albert Pujols. And that's not just like the losing the sentimentality of Albert Pujols and how much fun it was to see him chasing his his record and all that kind of stuff for 700. No, you legitimately lost your third best hitter. And I know he didn't really become your third best hitter until he morphed into your legit number one best hitter in the second half of the season because I think that's pretty much what he was. His OPS, I, I believe, was higher than even Goldie or Arenado in the second half. Uh, even in September, he didn't slump as, as hard as some of those other guys did. So Albert Pujols, 895 OPS for the season. I think he was close to 1,100. I know he was north of 1,000 in the second half after the, uh, the magical All-Star Game home run derby. Sort of lit a fire under him. I think he kind of found himself and uh, went on a magical run. We'll never see anything like it again with a guy that has that sort of cachet with an organization yeah, he left, but he came back, and he got a chance to do some really special things last year after, for years, he had looked washed, right? Like, he did not look like that version of Albert Pujols for the previous five, six, seven, eight years. It wasn't since 2011 when he left the Cardinals that he had an OPS as close to 900 as he did. Never had a 900 OPS with the Angels. 895 this year with the Cardinals. So, really crazy stuff. But from like a practical standpoint, the Cardinals have to replace that production, right? He was a legitimate, it was more than just a, a sideshow, more than just a, a sentimental story. He was really good, and he helped the team win baseball games. So they need a bat, the way I look at it. Like, I am, I don't think Nolan Gorman just kind of vaults into that DH role full-time or splits second base and then DH is the rest. I don't think he hits... 150, 160 games in the Cardinals starting lineup because I don't know if the Cardinals are going to let him. And that sort of bakes into what I'm going to talk about in terms of the catcher market and how maybe Nolan Gorman could be a guy that should dangle because my concern there is the minute he slumps, the minute Nolan Gorman, who has great raw power, but is going to strike out a lot. And so because of that, he's going to go through slumps where for a couple weeks at a time, he's not going to hit. He might be one for 21 with 10 strikeouts, and normally you'd say, well, we know at the end of the day, if he gets 600 plate appearances, he's going to hit 30 homers. He had 14 last year, and he certainly didn't come close to 600 plate appearances. I'd like to really quickly look up how many PAs he did get. He had 283 at-bats. 
So, you know, 313. 313 was the plate appearance number. So, yeah, he's on pace for close to 30, I think, after kind of getting his feet wet a little bit. You struggle as a rookie that happens. I think he's a guy who would hit 30 home runs in a full season, for sure. Maybe more. The OPS was over 700. He did some good things. But when he would slump, what would happen? They would bench him. I mean, they sent him completely to the minor leagues for a while late in the season. Yes, you had Albert Pujols, and that did complicate Gorman's role on the the roster last year because Pujols was hitting out of his mind. You weren't sitting him ever. Didn't matter, lefty, righty, whatever the case. And so there weren't really as many opportunities at DH, if any at all, for Gorman to soak up. But the other factor that was involved in this and is still going to be a factor this next season is Brendan Donovan. He was one of the team's best on-base players. He was just getting on base, and they started moving him up, up, up in the lineup. He was batting leadoff, batting number two. He was part of that group that was setting the table on a consistent basis, and it didn't matter righty-lefty. He was getting on base. And so you couldn't really afford to sit him. And once Tommy had moved to shortstop, it was like Brendan Donovan was playing a lot of second base. You could play him at other spots when guys need a, a, a break at third. He could play there for Arenado. Could could put him at first if you have to, corner outfield, whatever. I personally, I know he won the gold glove as a utility man. I didn't think he was that good in the outfield. I much preferred him in the infield. Third base is actually his best position, if you ask me. But he did find at second base as well. And when you had Tommy at shortstop, that was a pretty good middle infield. Now, Gorman defensively, I thought he was... They sold him coming up as like, yeah, this guy's a real project at second base. Yeah, he had some plays that should have been made, but he also made a lot of plays look really smooth and did well turning double plays. I was personally impressed by Gorman's defense at second. I didn't think he was a liability there. But Donovan, probably a little better. More versatile, certainly, Donovan, to be able to play other positions and play them more effectively. And he was getting on pace. He was taking good at bats. And when you're a team going through a slump offensively, it's sort of, and the fans contribute to this as well. I see it on Twitter all the time when guys are going through a slump, but when the team is going through a slump, you know, fans are going to pick on the certain guys. And when you've got an offer, like when Paul DeYoung is over 19, it's like he's an easy one. Every time he comes up to the plate, it's like you can't possibly be giving this guy another at bat. He's no good. He can't do it. That's the mentality that takes over. That is what's going to happen with Nolan Gorman because it just did. It was like, yeah, you know, we really like his future, but for right now we're trying to win games. What happens when Nolan Gorman doesn't take a huge step forward, maybe a small one. His OPS was in the low 700s, I believe, this past year. If he's a 750 OPS guy, that's just what he is, but he hits 30 home runs, doesn't have a huge batting average, strikes out a ton, there's still value in that sort of player in Major League Baseball. But I think people would say that's probably a disappointment for for what they're hoping to get from him, perennial all-star, guy who can slug legitimately, hit for extra bases, not just the homers, and then turns into that power threat that because of those things, he improves the plate discipline, and now they're not really throwing in pitches, so he gets on base too because he, he draws a lot of walks. Like, improving the plate discipline unlocks a whole lot for Nolan Gorman. Can he do it sort of remains the question. I think maybe he can. I don't really think I'm prepared to answer that question definitively, whether he can or can't. Like, I don't, I'm not anti-Nolan Gorman by any means. The problem, I think, for Nolan Gorman is maybe, depending on the way the rest of the roster shakes out, a Brendan Donovan problem because... He is such an easy guy to put into the lineup. Brendan Donovan, you're not really finding reasons or looking for reasons ever to take him out of the lineup because he doesn't slump. He's going to take a walk or he's going to do something good for you in the field or he's going to he's going to get a big hit or two. He's just going to get on base. And that, you just compare the stylistic differences between that kind of player and a Nolan Gorman kind of player. Historically, what's the quote cardinal way? Like, it's very Brendan Donovan. And so I feel like, and this isn't really placing blame at Ollie Marmel, but what I anticipate could happen is you get into those dog days where Gorman, they want him to be featured. The the front office doesn't, let's say they don't add a big bat and they say, because we're going to give a lot of at bats to Nolan Gorman, we think he's going to be a star and we're looking for a left-handed power bat. That's what everybody says they want in this market. And we've already got one who was a top prospect. We just need to give him an opportunity to hit. So we're just going to play him. But then you get into the dog days, and suddenly it's a little more Brendan Donovan than it is Nolan Gorman, and it sort of just continues to phase that direction until you look up and go, wow, Nolan Gorman hasn't started in a week. Like, I could see those sorts of things happening. It could absolutely go the other way. Gorman could be a stud. He could be an all-star. He could be a guy that you can't take out of the lineup. doesn't matter if he's DHing, second basing, filling in at third for Arenado or at first for Goldie. You just have to play him, play him in the outfield. Like, he could turn into that kind of bat. And that would be awesome. The Cardinals would, would would have struck gold if that were the case. And I don't doubt that it could happen. But you're also kind of at an inflection point with him where 
a lot of that prospect luster after a solid rookie season, if you look at the numbers, a lot of that luster could go away if we see another year of kind of, eh, not a lot of growth. Maybe that's just who he is. Low 700s OPS, going to hit for some homers, but going to strike out a ton. Can't really figure out where to put him defensively. Like, if that's who he is, we'd say that's that's a guy you want on an American League team. Now, every team is an American League team because the DH is in play. But the way the Cardinals want to use their DH, I don't think is just to stick one guy there because he can't be a fielder. They want to have that versatility, especially as Goldie and Arenado age, to give them more days off their feet. They're just in the lineup. They're not, like They want to use it in that way. So I think it could be decision time on Nolan Gorman for the Cardinals because this could be the moment where before we find out whether he's going to be him or just going to be a guy, like a solid guy, or, or is he going to be a star, Like before we find that out, you could still trade on his promise a little bit, I think, and maybe be able to do it effectively to get what you're looking for. So the shortstop thing does bake into that a little bit because I'm basically saying, I don't care what position a guy is. If you can go get a big bat, I'm in on that. It just so happens that the biggest bats that I see in the free agency market are at shortstop. It's not Dansby Swanson. I think Tommy. I think I'd just rather have Tommy Edmond. Like you're not paying Tommy Edmond 18 million a year or whatever Dansby's going to get, and there's no guarantee that Dansby Swanson offensively is going to outperform Tommy Edmond. Like that's not a guarantee. Dansby's had a few good seasons, but he started out his first three or so seasons. OPS is in the 600s, very Tommy Edmond-esque, but like not as good. And I think Tommy will steal more bags for you. I think he's a better defensive shortstop. So I'm out on Dansby Swanson. I just don't, I, first of all, it's not going to happen because the Cardinals aren't pursuing a shortstop to, to get a shortstop. They like their shortstop. And I'm not recommending they pursue a shortstop to get a shortstop. I'm saying you do it because those are the, that's the position that so happens to be uh, fruitful in free agency right now in terms of elite bats. Xander Bogarts offensively should be able to be that guy for a few more seasons. Depends on the length of the contract, but like I said, I already don't want him at shortstop, so if that's a demand that he would have, I'm not as interested. The bat would play, but he's already over 30 years old, I do believe, and so it feels a little bit Dexter Fowlery to me just in the notion that he could decline at some point during this contract. He definitely has a better pedigree than Fowler did when the Cardinals uh, signed Fowler, but I do sort of see those comparisons a little bit just in terms of the decline phase could come during the latter half of the contract, and you're maybe sitting there going, ooh, we got two years left on this deal, and it's not working out. It could go that way. But the other two I'm in on, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa. I started the offseason, and I told you guys on B-Shape Daily, Trey Turner's who I would go after from the Cardinals. Name your price, go get him, add that piece, and suddenly you're very dynamic as a lineup. Add that to Goldie, add it to Arenado. You're in a really good spot. The more I think about it, though, I think Carlos Correa might just be as good or even better of an option because he, I think, is going to have consistently more power over the course of the next five years. I think he'll probably age a little bit better because he's not as reliant on the speed element of the game as Trey Turner is. Don't get me wrong. The speed, as long as Trey Turner possesses it, will be very fun. And I think for the next two, three years, he will have that. But if you sign him to a longer deal, you may regret it toward the end of the contract if you're saying, well, we can move him to the outfield because he's not quite sticking with the, the tools he needs at shortstop. But then it's like, okay, is he going to be powerful enough to justify right field or left field? The way the Cardinals build their teams, you need power in those corner outfield spots. You just do. Because typically they've been solid up the middle. Like if Dylan Carlson's your guy in center, I think defensively he can be that guy. We don't know what he's going to be offensively though, right? I, it, it took a step back, especially against right-handed pitching last year. So that's sort of in a TBD standpoint. If Edmonds, one of your guys at the middle, solid player, but he's batting eighth, ninth in the lineup usually, right? And when he's batting leadoff, you're thinking, ooh, it'd be nice if he'd produce a little bit more. I love Tommy Edmond, but he's more the defensive mold that's going to really help the pitching staff. He does a great job. He's a very, very good baseball player. But I'm just talking about offense right now. And then we get to the catching situation. And I might as well sort of uh, parlay that into the conversation about Contreras. Because the Cardinals seem to be after an everyday catcher. That has been described by Ken Rosenthal in his recent article for The Athletic as basically their number one target. They want an everyday catcher to replace Yachty. I personally believe that to be a mistake. I do not, I don't, I'm not clamoring for a catcher the way the Cardinals are, uh, the way a lot of Cardinals fans are. I'm not clamoring that way. And this may sound a little bit crazy because you look at the numbers and go, well, what do you see, Brendan, that we don't? Because I don't see it. I'm not giving up on Andrew Kisner. I think the Cardinals might be. I think they might have said, yeah, we we tried that, and he's not an everyday catcher. They also might be going a route, though, that says, 
Andrew Kisner can be a solid backup catcher. He can start 60, 70 games, but we need a guy that can carry the, the workload and then maybe run away with it if he can improve uh, and can show more than, than maybe we're expecting, depending on who they sign. I feel like Andrew Kisner could definitely be the guy that can catch 70 games for you, and you might actually see a boost in his offensive production. 601 OPS this past year was not good. Um, it was higher than it had been in the previous two years for Kisner. Uh, hadn't played a lot in 2020, obviously. 2021 was rough, 174 average, 517 OPS. That's not major league caliber. But last year, 215 average, 601 OPS. Still pretty poor. But I also think he could develop some power or show a little bit of the power that I think is in there. I think being outside the shadow of Yachty would be a positive. It's not to say anything negative about Yachty, but I don't know that Yachty was the ultimate mentor for Andrew Kisner. And I think Andrew Kisner, his personality really got to show through a little bit this past year. And I feel like that weight could even be lifted off him a little more. I'm team Andrew Kisner. I'd like to see him get a shot to not just be like the the backup to a Yachty type catcher, but to be part of a platoon. Even if it's the, the small side of that platoon, even if he's 55 games to somebody else's 105 games, I still feel as though Andrew Kisner, like, catch Miles Michaelis every fifth day and then maybe once other through the rotation, you know, two times through the rotation, he's getting a start and a half in addition to the Michaelis start, something like that. And he and he worked well with Michaelis this past year, so that's sort of where that comes from. I'm not completely giving up on Kisner by any means. The Cardinals say they want an everyday catcher. A lot of people look at the free agent market and say, well, that's Wilson Contreras. And then you get the reports that the Cardinals, you know, have have discussed or whatever the, the rumors were saying. It wasn't from anybody local, but I saw it from some different people um, that have gotten some stuff before, plugged in in the, in the uh, Latin American uh, player community for sure. And so I don't doubt that it's happened, and, and it makes sense, right? If the Cardinals are after that and they've got money to spend and Wilson Contreras wants to come to the Cardinals, it would make some sense if that has been a conversation. But I don't know if he's the answer. I don't know if it if it – is the best way to hold the offseason. Like, Cardinals fans probably be happy because it'll cost them money. Five-year contract, I don't know, $20 million a year, $23 million a year. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be substantial, and they'll be able to look and say, see, we raised the payroll, and so that'll be good. But here's the trends for Wilson Contreras the last couple of years. He caught 112 games in 2021. I want to make sure I get this right. As a starter, he, he started in 112 games, caught 116 total. This past year, 72. 72 games at catcher, 39 at DH. So, could he do more than that? Probably, I guess. But turn 30 years old, I don't know that he's Iron Man, the way that Yachty for many years was Iron Man. But then you look at Yachty the last few years, wasn't Iron Man. You know, he wore down eventually as well. Much, much older than Contreras. But still, I feel like worth noting, can you just look over the course of Contreras's career it's hard to compare guys to what Yachty used to do because not many guys do that. 91 starts in 2017, 123 in 2018. That was pretty substantial. It's the most he'd ever done. 92 in 2019. So I'm like, all right, I mean, I guess that fits your billing if you need a guy to start 90 or 100. Like I said, Kisner can take the other 60. But um, if you're paying that guy 20, 23 million, I, I think you probably need more than that. Oh, and by the way, offensively, you think, well, it fits so well because Contreras is the big bat that the Cardinals are looking for and the catcher that they're looking for all rolled into one. I kind of reject that notion a little bit as well. He's coming off a great season. 815 OPS, on base near 350. He slugged a ton, 466 uh, was his high since 2019. OPS, the high since 2019 when he was at 888. But 2020-2021, he was below 800 OPS, 778 in the full season of 2021, which is still very good, especially at the catcher position if he's giving you good defense. 21 homers this past year was an all-star with 22 home runs. And an 815 OPS would have been, I don't know, fourth or so in the Cardinals lineup for the full season behind Albert. But from your catcher position, like that's a, that's definitely a cheat code. Like That's pretty good. You feel really good about that. Catching-wise, defensive runs saved last year, minus one. I think he's about average as a catcher. He's got very good veteran experience, so I don't doubt that he would do a nice job handling the pitching staff. But, like, if I'm going to see the Cardinals spend big on a player, I don't think it should be a catcher. I don't think it should be Contreras, personally. 
I think there's a more creative way to approach the offseason, and it would take a lot. It would take multiple moves by Moselak, and I he's never been the executive to be able to wheel and deal kind of in a short span the way like a Jerry DePoto does. We'll talk about him acquiring Colton Wong today for the Mariners. I don't know that Mo's going to be able to do that. I think it's what the Cardinals need, though, in this offseason. Because when you just look at the pieces of the roster, there's some spots that don't fit quite perfect. You look at the outfield, and you're like, okay, O'Neill in left, Carlson in center. Uh, I guess Lars Newtbar in right. I'm a big Lars Newtbar guy, as as you guys know, if you've listened to the show. I think he should be the starting right fielder, unless you're calling up Jordan Walker day one, then he's your starting right fielder. And then you platoon it a little bit. Some One of those guys can play center field. If Dylan can't hit righties, you kind of work it that way, and those are your four outfielders. But you got to recognize, too, that there's some risk baked into Tyler O'Neill. He might not be able to play every day because he gets injured. Also, his production when he was healthy last year wasn't good. So what do you do with that? So, like, add Alec Burleson to that, add Jordan Walker to that. You've got more guys than spots, but do you feel great about the outfield as a whole? Probably not. I think you could point to each guy and pretty much have question marks. So there, there are moves to be made there if you want to just shake it up a little bit. Catcher, you're looking for one. We know that. Okay, There are a lot of avenues to explore. We talked about Contreras. We've talked about the trade market. The guys from the Blue Jays, Sean Murphy from the Athletics, those are options. Don't really know what the, the price is going to be on any of those guys, but Cardinals would, would do well to be at least checking in on those markets for sure. And then there's the pitching situation. Because you might look at it and say there's a pitching surplus. Because if I were to write down the rotation today as it stands, let's see, I would, uh, I'm would i actually going to write it down so I don't forget any names. I would go, you know, Michaelis is in there. Wainwright's in there. You know that Steven Matz is in there. Probably not. He's probably your fifth, though. So let's go up a line. Jack Flaherty is in there if he's healthy. Has the pedigree to be an ace for sure. We've seen that from him just not the last couple of years because of injuries. And then Jordan Montgomery, the guy you acquired in the Harrison Bader trade, pitched really well for you. Like it's a pretty solid rotation. It's not enough. It isn't enough, and here's why. It's every conversation we had last February or March going into spring training where I said, you always have guys get hurt in spring training from your rotation. Always. It will never not happen. When it does, it's the blue moon, and you celebrate it, and you say, well, at least we're prepared because we've got more than we need. And I get, though, that that's a hard thing to sell to people in free agency for sure. So maybe you trade for some arms and they just kind of deal with it. But I think you need more than those five. It's like, let's run through it. Michaelis has had injury concerns in the past. Oh, by the way, he's a free agent to be after this year. Wainwright, we know his situation. Down the stretch, didn't look good. Supposedly, he's able to diagnose why that happened. Getting up there in age, but I'm not going to doubt Wainwright. But objectively, there are questions there. Flaherty, don't even need to go into it. Hasn't pitched really for two years. Jordan Montgomery, I don't really have any questions about him, but he's a free agent after the season, as is Flaherty, by the way. The only guy of the five that isn't a free agent after the season is Steven Matz. And he didn't pitch this last year hardly at all. And when he did, his ERA wasn't that good as a starter before uh, he kind of went to a, a, a bullpen role toward the end of that whole thing. So you've got four guys of the five that are free agents to be, and you've got Steven Matz, who basically didn't pitch for you last year very much at all, and that's your rotation. Yeah, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that you can go into the season that way. If if not only for 2023 and what that means, but 2024, Wainwright surely will retire. We know that he said it's his last season. Doesn't want to make a big hoopla about it, but that's it. Michaelis would make sense to bring back, and they might even finalize that during spring training like they did for his first contract. Uh, I think he's a guy that will age well. He's in great shape. I would I would sign him, depending on the years. Don't get crazy with it. But I'd bring him back. Flaherty's gone. Uh, he's he's definitely gone. It's just a fact of life. Montgomery, I think the Cardinals would like to re-sign him. That's another candidate for a uh, little uh, press conference down in Jupiter. Could be. And then Matt's, you know, is going to be around, whether you want him to or not, which is not nice to say. But, like, production-wise, you've got to get production out of that contract. You sign him to a four-year deal. He's got to produce this year and beyond. I'm just looking at that group and going, all right, how satisfied are you, and what are the options behind it? Well, Dakota Hudson's not in that fivesome, and he was basically a starter all year last year, but nobody really enjoyed that experience. Andre Pallante, I thought, did pretty well, 
But if you can afford to go into spring training with him as one of your bonus guys, that would that would be for the best. And not even into spring training. If you can go into the opening of the season with him as one of your bonus guys, pitching in that bullpen role where I think he can still improve, get better. I'm cool with that. Jake Woodford's still around as well. Cardinals have never shown they've, they're going to trust him with a rotation opportunity. And I don't think any of the prospects, pitching prospects-wise, are close enough uh, to be considered for the rotation this next year. I will put Matthew Libertor's name on the list, though, because he did pitch as a starter this past year, did not show very well at the big league level, but has that prospect pedigree, so you got to at least consider him, too. So some people would look at that and say, hey, you got nine pitchers. I just I don't feel like that's how it is. My preference would be, and I'll tell you now, I think the Cardinals, if they want to get creative, and I'm not alone in saying this, but I've I've thought more about it, you make trades from this group, and sort of what other teams are wanting from that group is is what dictates the trades that you make. As far as Woodford is concerned, like if he can be added to a lower-level prospect to get something that helps you, maybe somebody more controllable, whatever it is, somebody you feel better about than Woodford, because they clearly have not given a lot of trust to Woodford. Bringing back Chris Stratton to me is a little strange because Woodford could have filled the Stratton role and for less money. Stratton was not trusted to pitch in leverage after they traded for him. So I, I, I look at that roster spot and go, okay, I don't know what Woodford's role is. They've made it clear it's not as a starter. It's not, they don't really use the long relief role. Ollie has more of a dynamic usage for his bullpen, which is a positive. I don't think you need a break glass in case of emergency reliever just sitting out there doing nothing. You don't need that in the modern game. It's not a, an effective use of your roster spot. But they also kind of have Stratton for the Stratton role. So what is Woodford supposed to be? Well, you could trade him. You can trade Dakota Hudson. I think they need to trade Dakota Hudson um, because I don't envision them being satisfied with him as part of their starting five. I think they're kind of growing a little weary of, of that experiment. But I also think Hudson's young enough with some little bit of controllability and upside that a team could look at him and say, yeah, I mean, we're, we'll take him on and we'll even give you a, not a star player, but like a, a piece can come back the Cardinals way in a Hudson-related deal, whether you have to add to Hudson to get it. A piece could come back that you go, okay, he fits in the roster in at least more of a sensible way than Hudson does right now. And uh, I wouldn't trade Palante because I, I I think he's actually one that could stick around and, and wasn't really a big prospect, but I think he's going to outperform the prospect pedigree that he didn't have. Whereas Matthew Libertor, I would say if he's got cachet to anybody because of the prospect pedigree that he held, I would be willing to put him into a deal as well. Again, not just to give him away, but if – if you're doing something effective that can help the roster this year and can help kind of allow everything else to fall into line, left-handed pitcher, you do have one of those in Montgomery. You have another one of those in Mats, and I believe the Cardinals should be re-signing, or uh, I guess it's technically not re-signed because he's a free agent now. Jose Quintana needs to be a Cardinal. That's part of my off-season game plan. He's got to be back in the fold. I don't know how many years it'll take. I know that he needs to be on the team. I suspect that it'll happen. Uh, the Cardinals just can't wait too long for everything else to fall into place with their offseason and then miss the boat because Quintana's got no reason to wait around. If he gets a good offer, he can take it. Kind of the issue that I don't really trust Moselock and company to be able to be deft in this market, to be able to maneuver the way they need to. They're more of a wait-and-see kind of front office when it comes to a lot of these things, and it's paid off for them in the past. Arnado and Goldschmidt don't happen unless they stick to their guns and say, nope, we know the price we're willing to pay for these players. We know we can get him to sign long-term. We just need to get him here first, and the other team's got to agree to it. Right now, they're not ready to do that, but someday they will be, and uh, in both cases, the patience paid off, especially in the Arenado case where that was years in the making. And, uh, you know, both those guys were perfect Cardinals before they were Cardinals, and then you figure it out. Okay, yeah, they fit great, and now now look at them. Uh, they're, they're doing their thing. But to make, like, the four or five moves that I think would be necessary in a short period of time, for the Cardinals front office, there's got to be a little bit of a leap, in, a leap of faith, I should say, involved in that, where do you have a rotation spot for Quintana right this second? No, but you're going to because you're going to need to clear those spaces up and rearrange the, the chairs a little bit. Another way you can do that is by trading Jack Flaherty now. Um, and Jeff Jones has tweeted about this, and he's written about it as well for the Belleville News Democrat, just the notion of having the number of pieces, the same pieces I'm talking about here, and you could make some creative moves with those if you want. He uses the word arbitrage because that's what John Mozeliak has used in the past. 
It's going to be a great example of that. But I think to do it is going to take some stones. Like there's going to have to be a little bit of a leap of faith that, hey, once I make this move, I will be able to pull off the next move that makes it make sense. And I think with Quintana, it's very easy. If you traded a starter like a Flaherty, and, and I wouldn't trade Montgomery because I think it makes sense to re-sign him. I think he's a good fit for what the Cardinals are wanting to do. Jack Flaherty long-term, like both sides, I think, are going to be ready to move on, which is fine. There doesn't have to be any uh, animosity there. If you have Flaherty under contract for this year, you, you're you good with that because if he's healthy, he can be an ace for your team and you can win a lot of games with him. But there's also that aspect of if you think he's inclined to sign elsewhere after the year, and I do, trade him now if he's got some cachet where you can pull in a bat for him. Again, doesn't matter what, but we have that Albert Pujols bat that isn't going to be here. So we're circling that in our minds saying, all right, I'm the Cardinals. I need to find some production. And the position almost doesn't matter. But if it's a left-handed bat, I just dropped something. If it's a left-handed bat that can hit for some power and play outfield, that that probably checks all the boxes. doesn't have to be a full-time outfielder, but it's nice to have that flexibility, I think. But you could decide to go that route with one of your pitchers who's on an expiring contract, essentially. And because they just traded for Montgomery, I think they'd be more inclined to keep him. That would be very DePoto-esque to trade for a guy in July and then in December be like, all right, we're going we're gonna to arbitrage. We're, we're going to make a move here. I think Flaherty would be the one you'd trade if you were going to trade from your projected starting five. Whether it makes sense to do that depends on the return that they're getting you got to be creative with the packages. But I just listed a lot of guys. Flaherty, Hudson, Woodford, Libertor. You could trade any of those guys in theory in the right move. Other guys you could trade. I've mentioned Nolan Gorman. Again, could he be involved in the deal that gets you a catcher? Maybe. If it's Alejandro Kirk, would you do that deal? I personally, I would. Not because I think Kirk is guaranteed a better player than Gorman, but I know that the Cardinals have a use for Kirk that they do not necessarily have for Gorman, guaranteed. Like, they'll find a way to use Gorman, and he'll be effective and good, but they really are wanting a catcher. So if you if you have a guy where you go, oh, man, I really like this player, but I don't know where he fits, somebody else might like this player, and they might find out where he fits, and they might have three catchers, and maybe they'll trade you one of theirs. Uh, I don't know that I'd go Gorman for Danny Jansen, but it depends. Maybe if they're taking Paul DeYoung as well, because that's $10 million that sort of frees the Cardinals up to – make more moves. That was one that Brandon Kiley of one on one ESPN posed to me because he knows that I'm on the newt bar train and he's trying to find a way to get me to trade newt away. And I keep telling BK, I'm like, I don't think you're going to find the deal, man. I don't think you're going to come up with the hypothetical that gets me to do it because I look at the Cardinals outfield and newt bar was the one that was productive from last year. And he's a left-handed bat. And I think he could bat in the one or the two spot in the order and have some power and have some on base and be a heart and soul of the team kind of guy. Like he could be the full package and have an OPS around 790, 800 like he did this last year, 788 with a really bad first half because they signed Dickerson and wouldn't play him. They kept sending him down. I think Newt Bar could be a really good player, the guy, the kind of guy you build around, not a superstar, but a really good player that you build around rather than trade away for a catcher. And I keep saying that very dismissively, a catcher, because I don't think the Cardinals need 160 games out of a catcher or 130 games out of a catcher. I think Andrew Kisner deserves at least a look to remain that guy for that 60, 70 games with a chance to earn more if he can show more with the bat. Like he did a small sample, but the last week of the season, the way that he was swinging it, I liked that. I thought Andrew, I was like, this is Andrew Kisner that I thought we could see. Maybe it was, it was just kind of feeling like, all right, I'm getting my chance now. Let's show what I can do with it. I don't know what the circumstances were there, but. I, I do look at it that way where I'm not so desperate, which the Cardinals appear to be, but I am personally not so desperate to see the Cardinals go out and spend big on a catcher. That being said, guy like Alejandro Kirk, 24 years old, with the pedigree that he has already in the game and the control that he has, very similar to Nolan Gorman. So to me, that makes sense. You're not you're giving up a little bit of control there, but you're getting like, I don't know, four more years, five more years of Alejandro Kirk, who's a, a pretty good hitting catcher, good uh word on what he does defensively as well. So, yeah, I'd do that. Jansen only has two more years. I'd trade Tyler O'Neill for Jansen, though. Same situation. A couple more years for both those guys under under team control. Cardinals could arbitrage that outfield situation because Tyler O'Neill does have value, but you, you need to shop in the, the catcher market, and you need to trade that in for some certainty at the catcher position if you feel you're lacking that, which they are. 
they can't just not get a catcher. Personally, you sign Christian Vasquez if it's not too expensive and you're you're good to go, and that may be the route they go if they can't figure out this trade thing. Like if the Blue Jays aren't reasonable about what they want, then you know it's not going to work out. I get that they would be unreasonable about Kirk. They shouldn't trade him. But they've got uh, Gabriel Marino, I believe is the, the prospect's name. Another really good catching prospect that arrived. He's not a prospect anymore. He was there last year. But it's like, we got three catchers. What do we do about this? Danny Jansen would be the one that I think they'd be willing to trade. But if I'm the Cardinals, I'm not trading down from Newt Barr to Jansen. I'm not probably trading Gorman and the control associated for Jansen for two years. And then I got to pay him more. I'm already paying him more because he's in ARB too. Tyler O'Neill is a more sensible fit, and I would throw a pitcher along with him, probably even Libertor, even though people would say, oh, my gosh, that's your top prospect. You know, we've seen a little bit of Libertor, and again, you risk you, you kind of risk guys losing their luster if they don't pan out as prospects. There comes a point where they don't have that same cachet anymore, and, you, you know, you never know when that time's going to be. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. They grow into superstar players, and that's awesome. Libertor could do that. I think he's got the mentality to do that, but he's got to put the physical tools together and execute pitches more consistently deep into games, all those things at the big league level. Maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll do it somewhere else because the Cardinals need to arbitrage. They've got him as one of those maybes looking for a rotation spot that's not going to get one barring multiple injuries. And so you probably could maximize his value in another way. That's all I'm saying. I could see the Cardinals offseason having that sort of impact if the Cardinals have a lot of maneuverability in the market. It's not easy, but I think they could do it, and I think they're well-positioned to do it because outfield, you could say it's a surplus, but it's also not enough. But in any of those markets, if you trade away one of your outfielders for a catcher or you trade away a Nolan Gorman or you trade away from your pitching to get your catcher or to get your impact back, then you've got the free agent money to go and spend on the position that you felt like you just subtracted from by making that trade. Like, you trade pitching, still go sign Quintana because you need that reliability, in my opinion, in your rotation. That's the way that the Cardinals could approach this as I see it. Yeah, it's more complicated than go get Contreras and, you know, whatever. Like, it's probably the same level of expenditure. It's just going to be a little bit more creative way of doing it. Like, I don't know what Contreras is going to make. 20-something million in the low 20s per year? Well, what's Carlos Rodon going to make? Starting pitcher uh, was with the Giants last year. Another lefty, but gets strikeouts. <laughs> like That's the key there. Is this dude 2.88 ERA last year, wins above replacement, 5.4 according to baseball reference, 237 Ks in 178 innings, 237 in 178. That's what you need in this rotation that you don't really have. So if I am committing myself as a team, to 20 million or 25 or 28, whatever the number is, million dollars per year to, to a guy, it isn't Contreras. It's somebody like Rodon or it's somebody like one of the shortstops. And then you say, well, Brendan, Carlos Cray is not going to sign for 25. He's going to be 31. Okay, then open up the purse strings a little. If you're willing to spend 25 on this thing that, yeah, you, sure, you could use it but he's not as good of a long-term bet over the, the life of the contract as this other guy that's $6 million more, spend the $6 million. It's the same problem they had last year, signing Corey Dickerson for $5 million when Jock Peterson went for six to the Giants. And you might say, well, Jock didn't want to come to the Cardinals. He wanted to play for the Giants. I got news for you. Pay him more, and he'll probably want to play for your team. Like, that's never I, – I get it, but that's never an excuse that I'm going to believe. When it's reported that way, I'm never going to believe that a solution couldn't have been, okay, three more million dollars it is. Now how do you feel about it? If a dude's turning down a nine or $10 million contract for a $6 million, okay, then that's what he wanted to do. But I don't know. Do you know that the Cardinals offered $10 million to Jock? I don't think they did. So that's all I'm saying. Like, if you're, if you're willing to go this far, no half measures. You guys have seen Breaking Bad, right? No half measures. Just do the whole damn thing. If you're going to spend, spend a little bit more to make sure it's not bad money. And there are no guarantees in baseball in these contracts. But, like, you could look at some of the deals the Cardinals have made. Did anybody think the Mike Leake contract was going to be a smashing success? No. You thought, oh, they had to do it because they got kind of, you know, out uh, shut out of the pitching market for David Price and they had to settle. How about uh, Dexter Fowler? Did anybody think that was going to be a smash for five years? 
No, you're like, that's yeah, a pretty good player. He just won a World Series. He's going to help us the next few years. Might regret it in, in four years. But, hey, I mean, that's what they had to do because they wanted to trade for Adam Eaton, whether that was correct or not. That's who they wanted. Uh, but the the price got to be ridiculous. I mean, you see the prospects that were sent for Adam Eaton. That's crazy. We're not doing that. And the Cardinals were right to not do that. But it boxed them into something else that wasn't as interesting and that ended up being not as good of a deal long term. Or And I can't even say that. Like, David Price deal wouldn't have been great long-term. But you knew that the Mike Leake deal wasn't going to be anything special. Adam Eaton wasn't a great player long-term. He had a few good years. I think won a World Series with with Washington as part of that whole thing. But, you know, he wasn't a superstar. And, and Fowler was fine for a few years, but you knew that wasn't going to just be a slam-dunk deal. You've got slam-dunk deal kinds of players on the market right now, and instead of going five years and $22 million a year for Contreras, who's going to be 35, 36 at the end of a deal. And probably going to be a DH that you'll look at and go, yeah, we can't really devote the DH spot to him because he doesn't hit enough anymore. Like that's what I see four years down the road for Contreras. And I could be wrong. And I, I love his game. He's an exciting player. But if you also can look and say, if you spend $5 million more a year, if you spend $7 million more a year and tack on a year or two, and whatever it is, the numbers don't have to be exact, but you, I'm trying to get you the gist of the way I look at the offseason. If you can do those things, and instead of getting Contreras for that, you get Carlos Correa, who's a little younger, probably going to have a bat that I think ages a little better just because of the timeline of it. He's like 20, 28, 29 instead of 30, 31. Trey Turner, I think, also would be in that category. Yeah, that would be the way I would, would see the Cardinals go. And if not, if you're not going to do that, then just attack the trade market to where you don't sign a huge free agent. You dip into the Cody Bellinger market and free agency, which is to, I guess, assume he's not going to make a ton of money relative to these other guys. And he shouldn't. He was the worst hitter in baseball last year. I'm pretty sure, like bottom two or three. But I still think he can be a good defender. I'm seeing videos of him working out in Oklahoma with Jackson Holiday and Matt Holiday, Cardinals bench coach. You don't think Matt can get on the phone and say, hey, man, I think we should give this guy a shot here. Uh, Cody Bellinger, yeah, former MVP. Yeah, he, we fixed his swing. He's good to go. And he might be right. He might be wrong. But it's, it shouldn't cost you $20 million. You know, it should cost you because he got non-tendered. Am I, am I wrong about that? I think he got non-tendered for like the 18 or whatever million he was going to make. He might make $10 million. He might look to get a two or three year, four year contract at a lower AAV just to get some guarantee because he might think he's cooked or he might bet on himself and say, I just need a one year deal at 8 million bucks because I know I'm going to be right back on this market getting nine figures next year. I'm going to get a hundred million dollar contract because I'll show again that I'm MVP caliber. And then everybody's going to want to sign me to a five, six, seven year deal. I'm still pretty young. You know, that would be the way that would be the way this can go. I would I would go for those kinds of guys, and I wouldn't wait. You can't wait around in the market for those kinds of guys. You have to go decide upon them now and get them. He's 27 years old, left-handed power hitter. There is no reason for him not to be a Cardinal other than just, you know, the Cardinals afraid to make a bold move that way. Because you'd have to, the Cardinals are very shrewd, very calculated in what they do. You'd have to project a little bit on a guy like Cody Bellinger to get back to his form because he was horrible last year. 654 OPS, which was not even as bad as he was the year before that. 542 OPS. But I don't know, man. I'm looking at 2019 when he had an OPS over 1,000 and was the MVP. And I'm kind of thinking, that'd be worth a shot. Like, if you tell me there's even a 10% chance of getting that guy, those are the kinds of moves that win world championships. And what's it going to cost you? $5 million, $8 million, $10 million, $12 million? I don't know, but I would be in on Cody Bellinger. I, I can't think of a better fit. I know. He, it's been a while since he's been good. Maybe he's cooked. I That's the kind of risk I think you take because, especially if it's a one-year deal, what's it going to cost they're, this team once paid Greg Holland $14 million. They put it into a blender. He was gone by he was gone by June or July. It's the same front office. It's the same team that did that in 2018. Holland had a 7.8 uh, 7.92 ERA. 
And I tweeted about it and said, have you ever seen $14 million shoved into a blender or $11 million, whatever it was? You don't tell me they can't at least take a shot. I mean, they say they signed that guy like during spring training and it didn't work out. The world won't end if, if you sign Cody Bellinger for $12.5 this year and it doesn't work out. I would totally be on. And I may be off base on what his market's going to be, but that's the kind of move I would think you make if you say, well, we're not going to spend big. We're going to sign that guy. And then at that point you go, well, we're going to trade Lars Newpar for Alejandro Kirk, which I, I wouldn't do. But I'm just pointing out examples of the way you arbitrage. You're going to trade Tyler O'Neill for Danny Jansen, but you're also going to give Libertor in that deal because – they're not going to turn down a, a top 10 MVP vote getter in the outfield from 2021, plus a guy who was just a top 100 prospect and he's left-handed. They're not turning that down for a catcher that they don't need. Like that would be an overpay, but I'm using a little bit of hyperbole to give you an example of the way the Cardinals could do this and still be fine. Like if you traded Libertor, you'd be like, man, I'm really upset if, if he pans out and ends up being a stud, but you also go, Oh, they fixed catcher. That's cool. Oh, and Danny Jansen, Hits way better than anybody they had a catcher last year, Yachty included. That's a big upgrade. Oh, and you just added Bellinger because you could? Oh, you you sent Paul DeYoung to Toronto or to Oakland in getting your catcher because you gave up some extra prospects like Libertor or you gave him a Gorman where the, you, you were reluctant to do that? Wow. Now you've got even more payroll muscle. Okay, that gets you a Cody Bellinger. Let's see what happens. Let's see if you can make some magic there. It's a way you can leverage opportunity to take on a little bit of risk, sure, but have a lot of upside. And then in the pitching market, you just sign Quintana. I'd like them. I'd like to see him sign Rodon. I think he'd be a stud. I think I think Quintana's too good of a fit. You don't let him go. So those are some of the thought processes. It could be four different moves, right? It could be two trades, two free agent signings, and then you maybe still have a little bit of cleaning up to do around the periphery of the roster. But that's the way I look at the Cardinals offseason, not – Oh, what do we need, a catcher? Who's that catcher? Let's sign him to a big free agent contract. Cardinals haven't had a lot of luck with those deals working out in the past. I think John Moselak and company need to be shrewd. They need to maneuver the market, and they need to not wait around. They cannot let the market be set because by the time that happens, your window for opportunity diminishes. You don't have this the same number of forks in the road. Right now, you've got a lot of forks in the road that are out there for you if you want to take them, and that's good because – Having a lot of different paths to a very good, capable roster that can compete with the Dodgers, can compete with the Braves, the Mets, et cetera, that's what you want at the end of the day. Don't worry about your division because you're going to win your division. <laughs> like You should anyway, unless the Cubs decide to be that team that really goes for it and spends a lot of money all of a sudden. But you want to compete in the playoffs when you get there. That's got to be what this next year is about for the Cardinals. Not just winning the Central. That'll be nice. But you got to take that next step as well. And in theory, you got to be one of the top two division winners in the NL, so you don't have to bother with that freaking three-game wildcard series. That didn't work out in their favor at all. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. Real quick, though, before we get out of here, we've gone very long, but we had a lot to talk about, so I don't mind it. I want to talk about the Colton Wong trade in the Jacob deGrom signing for Texas. Colton Wong goes to the Mariners. Coming back to the Brewers is uh, Abraham Toro, who's an infielder that didn't do much at all with the Mariners this past year, had a 185 batting average in half a season. I guess I'd have to assume that he's a pretty good fielder. He's a former Astro, ended up in Seattle in 2021. Um, fielding numbers aren't really great either. No, he mostly DH. Good second baseman, though. Okay, there it is. I'm like, he played a lot of third base, and is this right? Had negative uh, 17 defensive runs saved if you parlayed that over the course of a year. Uh, better at second base, positive defensive run save there. So like a light-hitting second baseman with a good glove, okay. Also, though, going there, Jesse Winker coming back into the NL Central. He was with the Reds for a while, was very good, was traded to Seattle before this past season, I believe it was, which that for Winker was coming off of really a career year. He was an all-star for the first and only time in 2021. And he got a full season of opportunity, 949 OPS. He was really, really dangerous and dynamic for the Reds. And then they traded him to Seattle. Trade honestly worked out for the Reds. I was poo-pooing it because I thought it was lame that the Reds were deciding to not spend money and not going for it. But in so much as 
this player this past year, Jesse Winker, 688 OPS, 219 average, only 14 home runs, basically playing a full year, 547 plate appearances to hit 14 homers and, and OPS 688 is a huge letdown. Offense was down across the game, so somehow his OPS plus for his position was still 103, so above league average, but he was that's not what you were hoping to get if you're the Mariners. So they trade him in for Colton Wong, who I still think has some good years left in him. Good defensive second baseman, going to get on base. He's going to be a good fit for the Mariners and definitely a better hitter than Toro than what they had there. So upgrade for the Mariners, in my opinion, and then they can, that's an arbitrage move for them. They can go out and get any outfielder they want. They got Julio Rodriguez. They can add to that group. I honestly, when I heard the Brewers were looking to trade Wong, I was like, oh, they're going to be terrible. They're just, they're gutting it. They're getting rid of players. Winker is a good buy low, though. Like, he could end up becoming an all-star caliber player again uh, for Milwaukee. I think he'll be a great fit for that ballpark as well. Just a guy that you have a power hitter playing at whatever they call it, American Family, not Miller Park. And he's that left-handed hitting power bat that certainly within this NL Central Division teams are looking for. So, I get that move. I think it's kind of a bummer for Wong. He was really fitting in well with the Brewers. Uh, Cardinals won't get to play him anymore against him, I should say. And so that kind of stinks. I enjoyed seeing him come to town every year. Although everybody plays everybody next year, but it won't be quite as often as it would have been uh, when when the Cardinals are facing off with the Brewers and, and Wong was part of that. But yeah, Winker goes to the, the Brewers. I think it's fine for them. I think, I think I prefer the Mariners side of the deal, but I'm partial to Colton Wong. So I could see others disagreeing with that saying, yeah, Colton Wong does not have the upside to be a 950 OPS guy like Winker was in uh, 2021. But that was a deal that went down today. Kind of interesting. I'm in, I'm intrigued to see where the Brewers go because that was a move that, that could help him a little bit in the outfield if Winker has a bounce-back season. But also, I could also see the Brewers just kind of fading, especially if they were to make a move to trade away one of their stud pitchers because that's sort of the, the backbone of their team. If they did that, that would be... A full sign explaining why Stearns, their former baseball uh, operations executive, is still with the organization, but he stepped back out of the GM role. Like, he's not in the main uh, baseball ops role anymore. I forget if he was a GM or if he was a, a president of ops the way that Mosellock is. I don't remember the title. But he's basically stepped out of that role, and he's sort of on in an advisory fashion or something, a different front office role than he had. I think that move from Stearns, who's considered like a bright, young, up-and-coming executive, is to kind of take his fingerprints off of what is about to happen in Milwaukee. They could be bad. But we'll have to see more moves to see whether that ends up being the case or not. But I'm very intrigued. I'm watching them kind of closely. I, I could see a world, though, where the Cubs end up being the team that I predict. Like, we get to March, I'm saying, yeah, Cubs are number two in the division behind the Cardinals because they could still make some moves, and they got some interesting young players. Their rebuild might not take as long as people think. We'll have to wait and see on that, though. And then the big shocker of the day that finally got the hot stove cooking, Jacob DeGrom signing a five-year contract with the Texas Rangers of all places. Good for the Rangers, man. They went and got Corey Seager last year. Uh, who else did they sign? They signed another infielder as well. Oh, yeah, it was Marcus Simeon. They signed basically two shortstops, moved one to second, and... Now they're doubling down on that and saying, yeah, we didn't get where we wanted to go last year. We're just going to sign the best pitcher on the market and say, who's going to stop us? And they got their pitching coach back, Mike Maddox, who was, he was the Rangers pitching coach, if, if you recall, when the, the Cardinals beat Texas in the World Series. So they get to Grom, five years, $185 million. They're just throwing money around, $35 million per year, I believe, is, is about what that is. No, it's more like 30 37, 38. That's pretty, that's something. So good for them. Uh, you better hope you throw 185 mil to a guy that he doesn't blow out his elbow. Consistent uh, issues injury-wise for Jacob DeGrom. So I hope he stays healthy for a full year and for a full, full contract because he's fun to watch when he's on the mound. But that makes the AL West a little bit more interesting. The Angels, man, they're just going to fade. That's, that's my takeaway. They're not going to be able to keep, what's his name, Shohei. They're not going to be able to keep Otani. And uh, then I think they're going to be really regretting the fact that they never built around Mike Trout. They'll have to grapple with, well, do we trade him? Do we rebuild? Can we even stomach the idea of trading a generational player like Trout? They're already going to lose one generational player like Otani because he's a free agent after this uh, upcoming season. So we'll see there, but uh, credit to the Rangers for spending some dough. We'll see. Will the Cardinals spend some dough? What will other teams do? We'll, we'll continue to break it down as time goes along. 
We talked about a lot today in an hour podcast. Let me know what I missed. At P. Schaefer 12 on Twitter. Give me a follow if you haven't already. By the way, give me a follow on TikTok too, Instagram, all those places. It's at B. Schaefer 12, the same anywhere you go. Um, because I, I sort of want to branch out, do a little bit more social media on other sites if I can. Uh, there's a YouTube as well that I haven't really gotten to use a whole lot of. I post these on there sometimes, but uh, not a whole ton going on. But I hope by baseball season I'm, I'm able to have a little bit more time. The baby starts, you know, crawling around, walking, and you don't have to hold him all day for him to, like, stay alive and stuff. So in time, I'll be able to do a little bit more of that stuff. But at Schaefer 12 anywhere you are going to want to find my content, that's how you can do it. Appreciate you guys, as always, for uh, sticking with me, for listening. Like I said, let me know if there's topics coming up that you want me to talk about. Winter meetings, we'll, we'll hit on whatever's relevant as it comes up. But appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Shaefer Daily. Peace.